Amen. We're firm believers that, um, that worshiping and having fun are not mutually exclusive. We, that's our rule here. Uh, you can do both and enjoy, and, and we like to do that. So we're glad you're here. As we think about the empty tomb, we think about gazing upon the glory of God. It makes me think that it, this is true in this case. It's true in a lot of dimensions of life. Sometimes you have to look beyond what you can see with your eyes and what you can analyze in your brain to actually see the truth that's right there in front of you. I'll give you a case in point. Um, we have two daughters, Lauren and Christy. Lauren is the older. When she was five years old, which that, she was five years old in, in 1990. So I was still in the radio business in those days and here in town. And we used to be a target market for Disney. We, we delivered an audience of, of, a, of a lot of women listened to our station. And so Disney loved to do stuff with us. And so we did a promotion. We did several promotions with them, one of which was for the opening of Typhoon Lagoon, which is one of their water parks. And when you go down there working, uh, we would go down and broadcast live and do different things. Uh, you would get uh, an airfare and then all your expenses paid for you and someone else. And I would you know, take my wife. I think I took my mom one time because she had a sister who lived in Orlando. But on this particular occasion, Lynn and I thought, you know what? All we would have to do is buy one plane ticket and we could take Lauren with us. We felt like she was old enough at that point at, at five. We wanted her to be old enough to remember it before she made her first trip to Disney. So we thought that'll be perfect. Now, Christy, her uh, little sister at that point was, you know, probably less than a year old. And we thought, you know, what do we do? And I said, well, you know, we could put some newspaper down and a big bowl of SpaghettiOs. I, I think, okay, I'm, I'm, we, didn't put sp we actually uh, got uh, Olive Garden takeout for her. But so, so, no, actually I called my mother who lived in Sevierville and like a, great, a good grandma, I asked her if she could come and take care of Christy and she was pulling in the driveway as I hung up the phone. So everything was good. So Lauren went with us to Walt Disney World. And before we left, I went to Lauren, I said, honey, Good news. We're going to Walt Disney World and you are going to get to meet Mickey Mouse. And Lauren is a very thoughtful kid, always has been. She's very smart. She's very analytical. So she's five years old and I'm, you know, I'm down on the floor with her, honey, we're going to go and you're going to meet Mickey Mouse. And she goes, she rolls, actually rolls her eyes and goes, daddy, Mickey Mouse is a cartoon character. I said, okay, okay, but I've been down there. I've been down there and I've met him and he's really there. Daddy. Okay, fine. So, so we, we go to Walt Disney World and, and we're going to this press event they had for the opening of, of Typhoon Lagoon. And we walked in the gates and all the, all the uh, characters were there and they were all in bathing suits except for Mickey Mouse and they never do anything to diminish the image of Mickey Mouse. So Mickey Mouse is standing there greeting people as they come in. And Lauren walked up to him, like if he's there, like to that candle, she walks up to Mickey Mouse and she looks up and pauses for a minute. And she turns around to Lynn and me and says, it's him. <laughs> I know, honey, I try to tell you he, he lives here. And you know, it was so beautiful because her little analytical mind just didn't didn't compute. How, how could there be a, a mouse that's this tall and, 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 lives in, and actually lives in Walt Disney World? But once she was able to let go and she actually saw him, then, then it changed everything and she was all in from that point forward.
And EndNode, before you get ahead of me, I, I'm not about, even remotely about, to make a comparison between her seeing uh, Mickey Mouse for the first time and, and for the disciples when, when they discovered the empty tomb. But, but, you know, there are some interesting connections with the kingdom of Disney and uh, the kingdom of God. Um, you know, if you go to the kingdom of, of Disney, which people do by the millions every year, you allow yourself to let go of this rational part of your mind and you start to believe that, yes, there are talking ducks and talking dogs and that elephants can actually fly and that the real Millennium Falcon is sitting in some kind of a little, you know, port town on Batu, and it's really there and you just let yourself get absorbed into that atmosphere and it's, it's really quite magical. Also, in the kingdom of Disney, and this is something that the king, people in the kingdom of God could, could always catch up to, in the kingdom of Disney, they're doing it for a living, and I understand that, but the cast members, the employees, they're called cast members, of course, they are pretty much okay with everybody. You, you never see them, rarely ever, you ever see them disrespect anybody. They give everybody equal respect, and, and, and they're nice, uh, and they're very nice because they're paid to be. But my point is they do that, and everybody seems to be welcome in the, in the kingdom of Disney. Um, there is one thing uh, that I, just to point out how strict they are at the kingdom of Disney to make sure that they offer hospitality. I learned this from somebody who went through an internship there. If you go, if, if you go to Walt Disney World and ask, where's the bathroom? What you won't get is a cast member going, it's over there. No, they'll do this. It's over there. That's straight from Walt Disney from the very beginning at Disneyland. Two fingers. It's over there. One finger is threatening. Reminds you of your mom saying, you need to clean up your room. You need to eat your broccoli. You know, it's threatening. When people point a finger at you, it makes you uncomfortable. And so in the kingdom of Disney, they'll never do that. It's always two fingers. The bathroom's right over there. And, and we, you know, we could probably take a lesson, uh, sometime, the lesson from that kind of detail for the church. But, but in the kingdom of God, which we don't do for money, we do because, because, because Jesus died for us and has forgiven us of our sins and Jesus has created this church around the world. Uh, you know, we, we do it out of, out of response to his incredible grace. But hopefully in the kingdom of God, we offer the same kind of, we offer the same kind of hospitality. In the kingdom of God, instead of entertaining, there may be talking ducks and talking dogs. In the kingdom of God, we actually entertain the possibility that we can become new people, that we can actually move beyond the things that have always held us back and the things that we did and said that we, we wish we hadn't said and done. In the kingdom of God, God opens up an opportunity for us to move past that. And we can actually become all that we have been called to be. We can live with a clean slate. And let me tell you, my slate was really big and really dirty uh, before, I, before I finally took faith seriously some years ago uh, and started reading the Bible and going back to church. Actually, when Lauren, our first daughter, was three, that's when we went back to church because we didn't go before then. And I, and I started to learn that in the kingdom of God, that person that I was, that person that I was ashamed of, you know, God's like, I don't, I don't remember that person. I just know who you are in this moment. I accept you as you are. And let's move forward and see who you might become. And, and in the kingdom of God, people are just crazy enough to believe that can happen because it does happen every day. So today, as we, as we think about that and as we think about 
how we might be transformed into the greatest version of us that could possibly exist. We're going to do that by thinking about this idea of the glory of God. The glory of God was revealed in many different ways. And, and the disciples, the disciples saw the glory of God in Jesus over and over again. They saw it in his great compassion for people. They saw it in the way he healed. They saw it in the grace from the cross. They had seen it firsthand, the glory of God. And wait, let's, let's stop for a minute. What does that even mean? When we talk about the glory of God, that sounds, that's like the word sanctify, you know, righteousness. Those are churchy words that can be confusing and can lead people astray. Righteousness, by the way, is not we're better than anybody else. It simply means we're trying to live the way God wants us to live. And this idea of God's glory, you know, there's a place in the Bible where Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And, and it says the glory of God was there. God was met him there, and when he, and the glory of God was so was so bright and so incredible that he came down and his face was actually tanned. And the disciples are or not the disciples, but you know the people of that day that were waiting for Moses to come down the mountain were like Moses, did you go to Destin or something? Why are you why are you sunburned? It's like no, it's the it's the glory of God. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has this vision where he's swept up and, and into the very presence of God, and and this is the way he said it, and I love this. This is from Isaiah chapter 6. He writes, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And this is the key part of that. And the whole earth is full of his glory. So when we think about seeing and experiencing the glory of God, it, doesn't just, it didn't just happen once at the empty tomb. It didn't just happen to Moses or Isaiah or any other number of people in the Bible who came before us. It happens anytime we look around and care to connect this amazing creation with the one who created it. You know, for instance, the, the sunrise this morning, and maybe you saw that uh, this morning, the sun, this Easter sunrise was spectacular. And I've always thought of it this way, sunrises and sunsets are so spectacular. And I understand that, that the colors that they create and all that have to do with, you know, there's a, a gazillion cubic yards of this in the atmosphere and a gazillion cubic yards of that in the atmosphere. And they're all at a certain temperature and a certain pressure. And when the lights refracted a certain way, we get all these colors. Yeah, okay, I get that. But why does it make our heartbeat fast? Why does it make us swoon when we see that? I get, I get that flowers need to smell the way they smell to attract bees to pollinate other flowers. I get that. But why do they smell so good to us? And why is it that just smelling a rose or some other flower that's very fragrant can cause us to pause and think deep thoughts. I mean, this is, this is the glory of God that we see in his creation, and it's all around us. The disciples had seen God's glory, yes, in creation, but also in Jesus and all of these things that he did. And it was so profound that it changed them. You've got to remember, these were, these were fishermen. Uh, one of them was a tax collector, a hated, hated person among the Jewish people. And there are lots of reasons for that. We'll do that in another sermon one day. Uh, we're, a lot of us aren't fond of tax collectors today, but, but it, it's, it's a reality. But these people came from all these walks of life, and they left it all behind because they were in the presence and the glory of God in Jesus. And they changed everything and went all with him. They had seen God's glory and it became their story. 
God's glory rewrote their story. Real people, just like you and me. And so I want to read a passage that, that we would read. There's several resurrection accounts. We're gonna, we've been in Luke's gospel now for several weeks, and we're going to stick to Luke's gospel. I want to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, and, and uh, listen to this story about the disciples and the empty tomb. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again? Then they remembered. They remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, to all the, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. The women, by the way, were the first ones to get it. They were the first ones to let go of this need to have it all figured out and just accept things for the reality that was there in front of them. They looked with their heart. But they did not believe the women. There's a shocker. They did not believe the women because of their words, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So, so Jesus wasn't there. But they remembered everything he had said, and I believe all the experiences wrapped up in what it means that they remembered his words. And, and they were probably remembering all sorts of things. And so they experienced the glory of God once again, not in his presence at that moment, but in the evidence of his presence. And that's what I want to park on for just a minute this morning, because the, the physical resurrected Jesus is not with us, but I would submit to you that the evidence of Jesus in his resurrected state is in your heart and in my heart, and it is in all around us. Think about those disciples as they thought about that, as they remembered his words. They, they, they experienced his glory many different ways, but they experienced it in his compassion. And they may have flashed back on that day when there was a field with 5,000 people in it, and Jesus had been preaching, and it was at the end of the day, and they didn't have any food, and it was too late to you know, run to the Olive Garden and get takeout. They were like, what, what are we going to do? Disciples said, how are we going to feed these people? And Jesus said, see what they got. And they came up with a couple of loaves of bread and a fish or something. I mean, not much. And Jesus blessed it, and everyone ate. Why? Because he had compassion on the people. The shortest verse in the Bible, I'll bet many of you could quote it, uh, is whenever Jesus found out that his friend Lazarus and his sisters were Mary and Martha. Lazarus had died. And when he went back to check on them, Mary and Martha met Jesus, and he was so overcome by their grief, it says in the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He cried. 
He ached for them because of this incredible compassion that he had for others. And there are so many other uh, moments like that. But I'm sure the disciples were thinking about that and ways that they had seen his glory already and the evidence of it then in their memories. Evidences of his healing, all the blind eyes that he opened up, the lepers who came and and they had this skin disease that was so contagious that that they couldn't be in their community anymore. And Jesus healed the lepers so that yes, they could be healed, but also they could get back in the group of people that, that they live with and they could come back and worship and be with their friends. Jesus likes to bring people together. He doesn't like to push people apart. He always wants to try to bring people together. And gosh, the glory of God experienced in his grace. And by grace, chiefly I mean his forgiveness. And they had just seen it three days before on the cross with every drop of blood that hit the dirt underneath that cross. Jesus' grace literally, literally was being poured out for every person on the planet who would just reach back for him. But not only was it poured out for every person on the planet, it was poured out for you. It was poured out for you. It was poured out for you. His grace was poured out for you. (laughs) And even me, mercy, even me, he would do that. And the glory of God is experienced every time we see that. The glory, his glory was their story. And they would go on to live that out in the world. You know, one of my favorite ways we see it is in those arms that always accepted. There's that great story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And she had been set up. Uh, by the religious leaders. They kept trying to trap Jesus. They didn't like the fact that the people liked him more than they liked them because the religious leaders were all hung up on the law and you got to do it this way, got to do it that way. Don't get it wrong. Keep in step. Or if you do, God will get you if you don't get it just right. And Jesus came in and said, hey, guess what? God loves you. (laughs) And if you'll just love others and love me, then you don't have to worry about, you know, getting it all in step. It's like those old days, those old school dance studios that used to have footprints on the floor. And if you wanted to learn to do a dance, you, you put your feet where the, where the footprints were and you found yourself dancing. That was the old way of doing it. Jesus came to say, no, 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 no. Just listen to the music and let it move you. And then you just dance naturally. And Jesus says, listen to me, let me be your music. And I'll dance with you. And so, so this woman who'd been caught in adultery, and, and Jesus wasn't making light of it. I mean, adultery causes all kinds of collateral damage. It, uh, adultery is a bad thing, but it's not like the ultimate deal breaker if you're willing to repent of it and move forward. And so Jesus gets in front because there's all these men there, and they're going to stone her to death because that's what the law said. And Jesus was like, no, I tell you what, tell you what, guys. The first one of you, who has never sinned, you throw the first stone. Have at it. And then you could just hear thump, thump, thud, as they all dropped their stones and walked away. Nobody could, could say that. And so Jesus looks at her and says, Where's your, we're the condemner. We're the ones that condemn you now. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
And, and of course, we can't sin no more, but what we can do is keep reaching for something better and turn to Jesus when we do for forgiveness. That's, that's all this grace that brings glory to God. That's what those disciples saw in the evidence that morning. And here's what I want to say is good news this Easter morning. The evidence of God's glory is all around us. You may have seen it in your yard this morning. You may have noticed a flower because the sunrise was so beautiful and it's such a gorgeous day. You may have noticed the dogwoods that are just popping out of the forest now, the white ones and the pink ones and other and other beautiful flowers and shrubs and trees. Everything's just coming out. The birds are singing again now. All giving glory to God. And you may have experienced God's glory, which comes to us in compassion and in healing and in acceptance. You may have experienced in a soft kiss from your love this morning, or, or maybe a slobbery kiss from a toddler, and those are, those are just as good, and you really experience the glory of God in that. Or, or maybe it was a memory. I experienced God's glory this morning as I had, my mom and dad had been gone now for a while, but my dad was a choir director and my mom was a Sunday school teacher. She loved hats back in the old days. And I can just say, and they were with me in the car as I was driving in this morning. They were, they were there. And my dad was up directing the choir. My mom had her hat on. She was getting ready to teach. I, you know, and maybe one of those memories was a gift to you that, that was from the glory of God this morning or, or a hundred other things, but we experience the glory of God in love, particularly when we remember love as Jesus loved. Love for Jesus was not a noun. It wasn't something you feel. Now, now the love we feel and those feelings we have, romantic love, uh, guess what? That doesn't make God blush. He invented that to bring us together. He, he invented the love that, that pulls us closely to brothers and sisters and parents, and aunts and uncles and grandparents and friends. But the love that Jesus exhibited, the love that, that Jesus showed us most perfectly on the cross was not a noun. It's a verb. It isn't something you feel. It's something you do by choice. I assure you, Jesus wasn't on the cross thinking of me and going, that trotter, I just have such a warm, fuzzy feeling for him. No, no, no. He was going, you know what? That trotter is a rascal, but I love him anyway, and I'm going to die for him because I think he's better than that. I think he's better than his past. And that's what he chose to do for me and for you. You know, I, I mentioned that, you know, toddlers, babies, babies have this way of, of just showing us the glory of God and the beauty of love. And particularly at birth. And I don't know how many have had the opportunity to be there at a birth. Uh, I would have been blessed to be there twice for births. And, and it certainly, it certainly puts the glory of God right there as you see the miracle of life just come to be right in front of you. And it's particularly glorifying, I think, whenever it's a vulnerable little life, one that might not make it. Um, whenever, whenever someone steps in to, to advocate for someone who can't advocate or take care of themselves, I think we really see God glorified. And because I am an equal opportunity dad, 
I want to talk about Christie, the one we left with newspaper and Olive Garden whenever Lauren went to Walt Disney World. Actually, we didn't. She was well cared for. I think I see her. She's right over there. Um, whenever Christie was eight or nine, probably, I was serving a different church, and there was a couple in that church that had a baby, and the baby weighed about a pound and a half. And so they asked me if I would come to the NICU at Children's Hospital and pray over the baby and be with them for a little while. And I said, sure. So Christy, I've always, Christy would hang out with me a lot of times on, this was on a Sunday. So Christy went with me and we went to Children's Hospital and Christy sat out in this little area, but out in front of the NICU. And because you have to scrub in and put the gown on, some of you have had that experience probably. And scrubbed in and I went in and I prayed over the little baby and I talked to mom and dad. And we went back and did that several times. And once when we went back, one of the nurses saw that Christy seemed to be really interested. And she said, would you like to, to go back and with your dad? And Christy's like, yeah. And so they, they put a gown on her, it probably hung off her arms that far, but they, they put a gown on her and she scrubbed in, put gloves on and went back there with me and being back there. And I told her, you know, this, it's not easy to see, but it's really a miracle. And, and I could tell that, you know, her, her, I don't think she ever closed her mouth the whole time we were back there because of just, I mean, just the, the and, and she wouldn't have said that at the time, but the way God is just glorified by these people in these NICUs that take these little ones and their lives are so vulnerable and they give them a chance to live. And so we left and we were in the car and Christy said, Daddy, that's what I want to do at eight or nine. That's what I want to do. That's what she does. Been doing it now for over 10 years. She'd been doing it for over 10 years. That was her. She found herself in that particular vision of the glory of God being fulfilled in these people advocating for these tiny ones and helping them find and cling to life. And it changed her. Really, it changed her forever. God's glory is our story. God's glory in that moment became Christie's story for, for the rest of her life up to this point. I don't, don't see anything changing soon. She loves, in fact, she is now a certified pick line putter in her. There's probably a more, there's probably a more <laughs> fancy term than that. I mean, she, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having a dad moment, I understand, but this glorifies God. I mean, Chris is my little Christy, she's only this tall, she's just four. I still see Christy and Lauren as four-year-olds in my heart. She gets these little lines that are like threads and puts them into these little babies' veins and, and, and they go up and they drop down in their heart and they can put medicine in. Hallelujah. God's glory became her story and it changes things. And this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus, Jesus came into this vulnerable creation to these vulnerable people. Some of them did kill him and a lot of others were crying out, crucify him. And he died for them too. 
He died for me when I was at my worst. He died for you when you were at your worst. Because we couldn't live otherwise. We could never live fully the way we're supposed to live. We could live at life and we could do this and we can do that. But we can never fully become who we were created to be without a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus comes into our vulnerable state and he drops down into our heart medicine that no one else has. Medicine that can revive us. Medicine that can move us forward in our life and get us past all this stuff that holds us back. The sickness that comes along with our sin and shame and all that stuff. That is not what God desires for us. So Jesus came and did what he did so that we could have that, if you will, medicine in our hearts. And we can then give God glory with our lives. God's glory is your story. And so if you came in here today and you're hip deep in guilt over, I don't know, something you did 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago or, or three days ago, I have no idea. But, but the guilt we have can stick with us and wake us up in the middle of the night. But God's glory can rewrite your story and you can actually come to believe that God is, he, he was never okay with what we do that's wrong. But what he's saying is, I'm not okay with you living in it. That was then, this is now. Let's see if we can move past it. That's what he wants to do. Maybe, you, maybe you're in here today, and maybe you are watching online today, and, and you've been living into this image that somebody created for you. Well, you're, you know, along the way, somebody may have told you over and over again, why can't you get it right? Why aren't you smarter? Why can't you make good grades like your brother or your sister? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Why can't you be faster, bigger, taller? I don't know. And we hear that over and over again, and we begin to think, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm, and our self-esteem is down to here. And it causes anxiety. And people are living with PTSD because of stuff that happened to them years ago. And Jesus says, I want to drop my love into your heart. And I want to heal you of that. And, and my glory can create a new chapter in your story where you understand that the person that made you thinks you're just fine the way you are. You don't have to get better. He can make you better. If you cooperate with him, he can bring you into the fullest expression of who you were created to be by the power of his Holy Spirit. It comes from a relationship with Jesus. He loves you just as you are, but it breaks God's heart to see you wallow in the sin and, and the shame or to, or to be stuck in this image that somebody put on you. Or that maybe you put on yourself because you had some difficulties a while back. And he says, no, no, no. My glory can rewrite your story. And that's my prayer for all of us this morning. This is why Jesus came to live and die and live again. That's what we celebrate on Easter. It's new life. Yes, all of creation is being remade, including you and me. So my prayer is that you will believe that this morning with your heart. Can I, can I have Jesus come out from behind the curtain? No. But I can tell you right now that Jesus is in this room and he's waiting right by you. And he wants to, he wants to change your story. He wants to rewrite your story to the very best version it can possibly be. And it comes through simple faith in him. That's why we're here. May God 
have glory and be glorified in our response to him, however that may be, as we choose to do what the disciples did, see the evidence that's overwhelming, choose to believe, choose to stand in awe of his glory, and then let him rewrite our story so we can fan out just like those disciples did. And we fan out from here. And we can be a part of Jesus' work to change people's lives every day, just like he's changed ours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for sharing your glory with us. Oh God, that you would let us even see who you are by sending Jesus, that we can actually see your love, your compassion, your healing, the hope you offer, the grace that truly is amazing and comes to us without limit, without measure. Oh God, thank you. And thank you now for the Holy Spirit that helps us move beyond our own abilities to respond to you, to accept that grace and to move out from here and be living examples of how stories can change when presented with the reality of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.